Hello and welcome to Beyond the Flow of Time, a podcast all about Chrono Trigger. My name is Steve and I constantly forget to introduce myself. But today we're going to talk about everyone's favorite katana-wielding spiky redhead. But first I'd like to announce some changes. Due to my hectic schedule and for a fear of overwhelming my listeners, I've decided to do away with the mini-episodes in the off-weeks and instead incorporate the appropriately dubbed What the Heckron into my regular podcast. It will still allow me to discuss random tidbits of chrono lore without bombarding all of you with weekly episodes, and it will take a lot of stress off me. My new format will start with the usual introduction, a small fun fact about Chrono Trigger, an update on the challenge between my wife and I, the usual spoiler warning followed by the actual topic of the episode, with a brief intermission about halfway through, and then ending, of course, with credits and thank yous. Like I said before, this will allow me to pack a bunch into each episode while keeping it up bi-weekly. So last episode I talked about the Day of Lavos, and I won't spend much time on this topic, but I had to share something that I came across. On the date of August 18th, 1999, a special Grand Cross occurred where most of the solar system was aligned with a special connection that existed only once every several millennia. During this Grand Cross, uh, I won't go into all the details, but certain planets were aligned in certain ways. I just wonder if that played anything to do with like the Day of Lavos. It would have made it like August 11th, 99 which falls into place with all the other ones. But we'll go into much more detail on that because we talked about that last episode a lot. Alright, and this episode's What the Heckron. The goal during development of Chrono Trigger was to make the setting as unique as possible. Ideas were exchanged and one included making the timeline of Chrono and his friends look like a cross between Japan and Holland. So I'm not sure if this was only in the present or if it would have been like 600 AD in the present because we see huts in 65 million BC uh, Mughal style architecture in 12,000 BC uh, futuristic domes in 1999 and beyond so it probably would have been just uh, 600 AD and 1000 AD obviously this didn't happen but it does explain why Chrono uh, uses a katana and why he's dressed the way he is And I think at some point I saw a screenshot of like an in-development Chrono Trigger and the present day buildings looked very different and there were windmills uh, littering the landscape and I I could just be misremembering that, but I I do think I saw a screenshot somewhere there. Alright, and for this episode's challenge update... I'm super stoked to announce that at the time of this recording, I have surpassed 800 downloads. So the goal looms ever closer. I have secured a reliable copy of Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo for her to play, you know, like organically like I did. Because unfortunately my copy, although playable... It was in a very nasty flood in 2016, and I don't know the integrity of it. I did clean it up, cleaned up my Super Nintendo, 
Uh, my Final Fantasy 3, my Zeldas, my Marios, Chrono Trigger, they all have my original save files from forever ago. But Super Mario RPG won't save, and someone told me I could just change the battery in it. But, yeah, that's, that is it. Uh, we're looking at over 800, so sometime next month she should be sitting down to play. And now, just like always, I'll drop a spoiler warning for those of you who haven't made it far enough into the game to meet the protagonist. So, you know, like the first three minutes of the game. Or for those of you who have wandered here by accident. And also there are spoilers for Chrono Cross in this episode, so be aware of that as well. Chrono is the silent protagonist in Chrono Trigger. Other than two lines of dialogue in one of the 15 endings, no other words are spoken by him. Chrono lives with his unnamed mother in Truce in the present. Her name is Gina in the Japanese version and why her name was omitted in the English translation, I do not know. The Chrono Wiki describes Chrono's personality as matching that of the conventional hero archetype as he is willing to place his life on the line for the sake of others. We first meet the 17-year-old while he is being woken by his mother in their one-bedroom house. I touched on this in the very first episode when I introduced the first three characters, Chrono, Marl, and Luca. I went back and got an excerpt from that episode. The game's silent protagonist lives alone with his mother, Gina, unnamed in the American version. His father is absent, and he and his mother live together in a one-bedroom house. The bedroom is obviously Chrono's as the game's first scene shows a sleeping Chrono and the very first text of the game is his mother calling his name until he wakes up and then telling him good morning. No last name is given for our protagonist and his first name Chrono implies ties to time. There are countless theories as to his odd name and how his appearance is unlike any other character in the game. Chrono's family is, by my calculations, somewhat impoverished and either his mother sleeps on the sofa or she is some kind of machine or guardian placed by the entity to do dishes and other mundane housework whilst washing, watching over the hero-to-be. To the player's knowledge, she never leaves the house, and this fact is never questioned. Whatever or whoever Chrono's father is, he left enough money for them to survive on but not thrive. I feel like she has sacrificed so much for her son, whether or not she knows he is some sort of quasi-messiah and will sacrifice himself in return. Alright, now moving forward from the excerpt that I, uh, the information from episode one, I'll add to this as much as I can. So I've theorized that Chrono, being 17, is finally woken up by his mother probably late in the afternoon. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was maybe even 1.24 in the afternoon, a time parallel to the awakening of Lavos in 1999. His clothing is somewhat odd, as he wears a short-sleeved green shirt, light blue tunic, belt, yellow pants, brown boots, and a headband, and an orange ascot around his neck that he touches on every single color. And like I said before, Chrono is silent. His family and his lineage, other than his mother, is shrouded in mystery. Um, one theory, you know, kind of think like this is purposeful as the developers wanted the player 
to be able to put themselves in the role of Chrono without being tied to a pre-existing backstory. But I do think a backstory for him does exist, and I took it upon myself to find it. So for me, being a kid with red hair, I felt an instant connection with Chrono. He was the first fictional character I ever related to, and I felt represented by him. I was very young watching my dad play, but when I finally did sit down to play myself, I was almost exactly the same age as Chrono. This game and these characters mean a lot to me, as they helped me through some very difficult times growing up. Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VII, and The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time will always hold a very special place in my heart. Alright, moving forward. We know very little of Chrono, but I've made a comprehensive list of the things that we do know, and this is following the main timeline, assuming the player makes all the choices the game intends. So, we've talked about it, Chrono has red spiky hair and blue eyes, now, and before I say this, I don't know a lot about Dragon Ball and a lot of the terms and lore characters, but I looked up a few because, it, you know, there's some similarities, but Chrono shares a lot of similarities with Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta. I hope I'm saying that right. Now, that's unsurprising as they are both drawn by Akira Toriyama, and if that's the wrong character, I'm sorry, but... They do all share a lot of the same, it's the same style, they all look alike, but I looked for one that actually bore a striking resemblance, and that's the one that I found. So Chrono uses lightning magic, but in the original Japanese version of the game, Chrono's element was Ten, which means heaven. In the Nintendo DS version of Chrono Trigger, Chrono's element is translated to light, which is m actually more in line with the original Japanese translation. Chrono's name is a condensed form of Chrono, just missing the H, a Greek prefix for time. Since Chrono Trigger has time travel as a prominent theme, his name is very suitable. Chrono's hair is a similar color and spiky shape to Dreamstone, and if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, that you know my theory that every living creature on the planet carries in him the DNA of a creature of the same species of Lavos, one that unsuccessfully landed on the Earth. It exploded and, you know, riddled the ground with Dreamstone, therefore jump-starting, you know, the evolution on the planet in the world of Chrono Trigger. So Chrono's lineage could have been heavily influenced by this, made evident by his unique look. And every playable character in Chrono Trigger has a lineage that spans from era to era. From the zeals of 12,000 BC came, you know, Janus, Magus, and subsequently all those who can use magic. From Aelin Kino came the line of Guardia, from which Marl slash Nadia was born, and then it proceeds all the way to Doan. Frog's line is convoluted and tricky. Many think that, you know, the basic stuff. He was an orphan, taken under Cyrus's wing as a squire, although he really wasn't knight material. And after the death of Cyrus and his transformation into Frog, he found within himself the makings of a knight. However... At some point before he was cursed, it is rumored that he sired a child with Queen Lean, who was raised as an offspring of the king and queen. So that would mean, like, that would have changed the entire Guardia line and could very well make King Guardia and Princess Nadia descendants of Frog. And now I won't go into much detail on Luca and Robo because I'm going to do them next episode, so you can wait on that and look forward to that. So that brings us back to Chrono 
and a theory of mine that his father could be a descendant of the famed adventurer Tomo. So the Chrono Wiki describes Toma as a swashbuckling, vagrant explorer in search of ancient treasure and fame. He's a self-titled mystical explorer and a bit of a flake. So Toma was quite the smooth talker, able to persuade money to finance his ventures, and I'm sure he was able to talk his way into other situations as well. So if his children, grandchildren, and so on were just like him, then well, they would be the kind of men who couldn't settle down long enough to raise a family, but they didn't refrain from activities that could potentially start a family, if you catch my drift. I found this interesting tidbit on Chrono Wiki as well to support my Toma claim. In the ending, a slideshow, Luca remarked that she considered him to be sort of an intellectual, although Marl speculated that he had dozens of girlfriends. A maid at a cafe in the year 600 AD seems to confirm this, for in-game she wishes that Toma would settle down for a while and stay in one place. Now, just to be clear, I'm not claiming that THE Toma is Chrono's father. That would raise implications that Toma, like, found a gate during his adventures and fell through time and upon seeing a young and beautiful woman wooed her and left her with child as he embarked on another adventure ultimately landing himself back in his own rifle era. Like, time travel would be way out of the question, right? Like, he would have had to have found the gate around 8, you know, around 582 AD, and then been transported to 982 AD. I mean, the child was named Chrono, so maybe Gina knew where, or rather, when his father was from. And Chrono does wear a headband just like Toma does. And Toma's obsession with the rainbow shell and the fact that Chrono's ultimate weapon is forged from it is just, they're all coincidences, right? I don't know. Also, Toma's surname is Levine? Levine? We'll just, we'll say Levine. Toma's surname is Levine and it means joined or dear friend. Levine is a masculine name of Hebrew and German origins, a variant of Levi. This name translates to joined and refers to the important biblical figure of the same name. So, Chrono is joined to time, joined to Lavos, joined to the entity, joined to Morrow romantically, and joined to his ragtag group of friends, of which he is considered a dear friend. It is said there is no greater love than a man to lay down his life for his friends, which is exa exactly what Chrono does. So if his full name is Chrono Levine, it could mean he who is joined with time, or using both meanings, it could be beloved friend across all time. Now, moving back to Toma, eventually, possibly, he marries a young woman in chorus who pines for him. This was lost in the English translation, but implied in the Japanese version. So, and now we, you know, that's pretty much the whole Toma theory I come up with. So take that for what it's worth. And now we will move on to my second theory. After the defeat of Lavos, Chrono returns with Maro and Luca to 1000 AD, while all his friends return to their respective time periods. Sometime after the events of Chrono Trigger, Chrono and Maro are married. Although we aren't sure how many children they have, their names or genders, we do know that Chrono and Maro have ancestors in 1999 and subsequently 2300, so they do, in fact, have children. As a side note, Maro is actually Nadia Guardia, as we all know, being a direct descendant of the Guardia line and princess to her kingdom, 
from her birth in 984 AD until her death in 1005 AD. Since Chrono is a commoner with no given surname, no property, and only his mother as family, he would be considered a prince consort and given the title Prince of Guardia if the king chose. That would make him Chrono Guardia, Prince of Guardia, and his bride, Nadia Guardia, would be Princess of Guardia, set to rule together upon the king's passing or declaration of him being unfit to rule. Now, for this next part, I'd like to insert a small disclaimer. There are quite a few parallels between Chrono and many Christian beliefs using the Christian Bible as a reference. This is in no manner me trying to push religion on anyone. Each and every one of us have our own beliefs and our own religion we follow or choose not to follow. This diversity is what makes our world so interesting. So let's proceed analyzing this from a historical viewpoint. Starting at the top, we have the entity, often compared to God as a divine ruler and influencer of the planet, granting boons to those who need them and demonstrate a selfless desire to help others. Opposite of the entity, we have Lavos, a being fallen to earth surrounded by fire to rule from below and influence humans, giving them power and authority that comes with a cost. This parallels Satan, who fell like lightning and exists in a similar manner. Next, we have Christ and the Antichrist. This would be Chrono and Magus. Chrono, controlled by the player, would be Christ, or Jesus, Son of God. Now, the player is assumed to either be the entity or Chrono, but I say the player is both, existing outside the timeline as the entity and within as Chrono. You know, both possibly one and the same, a parallel to the Bible. You know, and the entity is would be me existing outside of the game and Chrono would be me existing in the game. Magus, powerful mage and sorcerer, draws his power from Lavos. Without the parasite, he would be nothing. The two, to a point, both exist in tandem as the entity and Chrono do. Chrono is light, heaven in the Japanese version, and Magus is shadow. Jesus was born to a virgin with no earthly father. If we parallel this, then the entity is responsible for the impregnating of Gina, and no father exists for him on the planet. This would have been deemed necessary by the entity, who, existing outside of time, saw it necessary to put into motion a means of saving the planet. Chrono is born, and 17 years later the events of the game kick off. I should also add that during his trial, even if found innocent, Chrono is sentenced to death. Chrono evades his sentencing, but his actual death occurs in 1005 AD, at the age of 22, with Jesus being roughly 33 at his time of death. Next, we move on to the blessings of the three wise men, or Magi, Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar, or Casper. According to Western church tradition, Balthazar is often represented as a king of Arabia, or sometimes Ethiopia. Melchior is a king of Persia, and Gaspar is a king of India. They presented three gifts to Jesus as a child, each holding a specific symbolic meaning, as gold signified Jesus' status as king of the Jews, frankincense represented the infant's divinity and identity as the son of God, and myrrh touched upon Jesus' mortality. Now, Chrono Trigger, the three gurus are Balthazar, guru of reason, Melchior, the guru of life, and Gaspar, the guru of time. The names, save for a letter or two, are the exact same. They present Chrono with the epoch, 
the Masamune, and Knowledge. And, of course, further in the game, there are other things presented to Chrono if you do certain side quests. But the thing with those three is they do give you things, present you with things, endow you with things. Gifts. Because of them, Chrono possesses the ability to move freely through time, weapons to destroy evil, and knowledge, subsequently leading to magic, to further his quest and ultimately see it to fulfillment. In the Bible, Jesus is crucified and then resurrected. And I won't go into all the details, as most of us are familiar, but Chrono dies in the main storyline of the game. Like, he actually dies, but he can be resurrected to carry on until the end of the game. So now we will take a short break. I'll play some music, and then when I come back, we'll finish out this episode. This is Corridors of Time by Alex Rincon, and I hope you enjoy.
Alright, I'm back. Well, let's talk about timelines and things might get a little dark from here on out. So, if I'm correct, by defeating Lavos and toying with the timeline, Dalton ended up in the present, raising an army in Pore, or Pore, however you want to say it. They would later invade, burning Guardia Castle and causing the fall of Guardia in 1005. So we have conflicting stuff going on here, which is nothing new when dealing with time travel. Defeating Lavos in a timeline that has Chrono and Marl's descendants in the future, it's, it's brain-breaking. Imagine just meeting a girl, then a day or two later you meet the descendants of the family that you haven't even made yet. And the problem is... By destroying the catalyst that essentially brought the two of them together, they unknowingly erased their lineage. Guardia falls, and the ghosts of Chrono, Morrow, and Luca appear in Chrono Cross, accusing Surge of negating all their hard work to save the world. But the, we will talk more about the ghost children in a later episode. And along with the ghost children, Miguel is encountered, an enigmatic red-headed light magic user he is either Chrono's long-lost father or a version of Chrono from another timeline who got lost and ended up in the El Nido archipelago. archipelago. His existence and the existence of El Nido will get their own episode once I finish out Chrono Trigger and you know move on to Cross, but that probably hopefully won't be for a long time. Now, following what has been dubbed the Lavos timeline, we see the events unfold, the Guardia line starting with Ayla and ending with Doan, and this is the unaltered timeline that results in the apocalyptic future. Now, once Chrono and crew start traveling through time and altering the timeline, the Chrono Trigger timeline, or the Keystone T1, diverges from the Lavos timeline. A lot of things change, many of which we will discuss in a later episode, but the main one is the defeat of Lavos in 1999 from which the New Future timeline diverges. The New Future timeline, or Keystone T2, sees the events of Chrono Cross start to come into play. In this timeline, Chrono and Marl die in 1005 AD during the fall of Guardia. Now, I'll probably have to do a series of episodes to cover all the timelines and changes, but my point for all of this was to try and explain how the hero of time saved the world only to set into events into play that ultimately ended his life and that of his wife, Marl. It is assumed they never had children in this timeline, and if they did, their children perished as well. This eliminates the Guardia Lion, removing the Director and Doan from existence. This also begs the question, if Lavos is destroyed in the future, would it still exist in the past? And I found this, this excerpt on a GameFAQs page about Chrono Trigger. Like, these aren't, this is not my words, this is something I found. I viewed it as Lavos creating a pocket dimension he existed in which has a static location physically, but temporarily exists everywhere. He awoke in 12,000 BC due to his pocket dimension being punctured by the Mammon Machine. After his tantrum, he went back into his bubble, but it wasn't formed as well. Like, let's say the bubble exists outside the bubble itself and strengthens with time. And he only had about 15,000 years to reform from the disruption, which made him easier to access after that. I mean, forming a barrier for 65 million years can make them more resistant than 15,000. Crashing the epoch through the bubble gives you access to Lavos himself, who exists in all times, but once you crash into and rupture the bubble, he only exists in that current time. 
The disruption in time caused by the rupture of the bubble shunts the entire thing to 1999 AD, which begs the question, the final Armageddon caused by Lavos could just be a result of what happens if and when the party is defeated by him. So the normal timeline is that Chrono and Kruv will fight Lavos, but lose. The reason they eventually win is their own meddling in the affairs of time, which caused them to have greater understanding of Lavos and his abilities and can potentially lead to their victory. I find this theory interesting. Um, and the, excerpt, the excerpt's over. I'm back to me now. But I find this theory, this theory interesting, and it brings a memory back to me from the time machine. Like, to put it simply, some events that are destined to happen will always happen. Fate will intervene, and the future will refuse to change. It will almost resist unless broken. And what I think has happened is, like, Chrono and Mara were always destined to die. If it wasn't by Lavos, then by Dalton during the fall of Guardian. If not by either of those, then some other catastrophic event would happen. Um, they were always destined to die. Everything that they put into place is the reason it was put into place. And that's how time overlaps itself. But they kept meddling until eventually they did drastically change it, but unsure if it was for the better. Like, it may have been better to kill the Guardian in 2300 AD, present them with the plants, help them grow them, and let the future move on from there. I don't know. But the only exception to this would be a radical timeline divergence, such as the theoretical one that sent a version of Chrono to El Nido, wiping his memory where he simply exists outside the flow of time as Miguel. And also, another random theory, Chrono could be a spawn of Lavos. Lavos existing in a sort of pocket dimension, present in all times simultaneously, and collecting DNA from every living creature on Earth, Chrono could have accidentally been created. I find this unlikely. It is more likely that it was purposeful. Lavos would have done so to try and create a following in the present. The parasite had a following in 65 million BC from the Reptites, 12,000 BC by the Zealots, 600 AD by Magus and the Mystics, but by 1000 AD and beyond we don't hear of Lavos. Chrono could have been an attempt to establish a connection to the present and beyond. I have one last theory pertaining to the origin of Chrono, and it's not mine. I found this on Chrono Compendium. Clearly, we never get to meet his father, and no one else seems to be related to him canonically from what I found, but I postulate that he may be a descendant of Cyrus. In the flashback, just before Frog splits the entrance to the magic cave in half, we see Glenn getting picked on in Guardia Forest, and Cyrus comes to his rescue. Granted, he's a generic sprite for this scene, but we can glean a view a few things from it still. I would assume he's around the same age as Chrono is throughout Chrono Trigger in this scene. He has red hair and is even wearing the same color tunic. Later we see him on Xenon Bridge, probably the most iconic sprite of Cyrus simply because it's unique. His hair is less red, but it's spiked up and he's wearing a headband. As far as I can remember, he and Chrono are the only ones to use this motif in the game. Antoma. Yeah, Antoma. Another example is his character art, but we don't have a lot to work with because of all the armor. He does appear to have blue eyes and his face resembles Chrono's. But then again, that could just be Akira's art style and a lot of the male characters look similar. I imagine he still has spiky hair under that helmet though. Other evidence includes the fact that they're both swordsmen and both presumably from Truce. Nothing was ever mentioned about Cyrus having a wife or family, although a counter to this argument would be that if he did have a family, Chances are 
we would have met them at, the, at some point. And I also think Frog almost immediately taking a liking to Chrono might have something to do with his resemblance to his old buddy. That could be a bit of a stretch though, I suppose. Alright, and that is the end of the Chrono Wiki excerpt. So, moving on. So, will we ever truly know Chrono's origin or the true purpose of his existence? Perhaps not. Maybe time will tell. Now, to me, I'll always view him as brave and selfless, a hero of time and a sacrifice the world needed, but never understood deep enough to appreciate. Alright, now I'll wrap up this episode with some thank yous and credits. I hope you like this and continue to come back. I've enjoyed having you. First of all, another huge thank you to the fine folks on the Chronoverse Facebook page and the Chrono Trigger Facebook page for the love and support. It means so much to me. And of course, the thumbnail is by Ricardo Borquez. You can find him on Behance or DeviantArt by the handle Code Borquez. Also, and I should add that my wife did the editing on the thumbnail, have you know, having added the text and filters, and I'm ashamed to have not given her credit soon for her contribution. The intro is Looking Wounds by Victor Krauss. The ambience is Bustling City by Brian Wasopel. The spoiler warning is by Owlish Media. Music playing during the intermission was Corridors of Time by Alex Rincon. Check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube. I'd also like to just mention again, because it's so good, that Alex has a full-length Chrono Trigger album titled Time's Eclipse and is available on all major platforms. And the outro is Music Jewels. This podcast is available on all major platforms. You can visit Beyond the Flow of Time on Facebook to find links or search your favorite podcast app. Also, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like discussed, art, fanfiction, or anything at all, you can email me at beyondtheflowoftime at gmail.com or message the Facebook page. Episode 10 will be titled Ash Tears of the Kingdom and will be available in early August. Episode 11 will be titled The Last of the Zealots and will be released in late August. And thank you for listening.